Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. On this episode, Robert Frost said, nothing gold can stay, but we'd guess he'd never had a Duval, aka Belgian Golden Strong. But what makes it different from its cousin, the Triple? I've had a few of those late night, super beery discussions, trying to well, tweeze out just what makes a golden a golden and not a heavenly triple? Today, let's take a little look at both the styles, you know, kind of see what hairs we're actually splitting to separate them, and how to make them. But first, a message from our sponsors. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Explore the history of tart, fruity, and refreshing Goza-style beer with the latest book from Brewer's Publication, Goza, Brewing a Classic German Beer for the Modern Era. Written by award-winning veteran brewer Fal Allen, Goza includes 27 recipes including Sea Quench Sour from Dogfish Head Craft Brewery and Ruben Brewer's 2017 Great American Beer Festival gold medal winning Goza. Right now, Brewer's Publications is giving experimental homebrewing listeners a discount on Goza. Go to brewerspublications.com and use code EXPERIMENTAL to take 20% off Goza. That's right, you'll save 20% when you use code EXPERIMENTAL at brewerspublications.com. The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the AHA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. is a Belgian Golden Strong? What is a triple? Let's dig a little bit into the history before we actually break into the styles. And again, usual spoiler warning here, beer history is beer history, which means that it's not real good history to begin with. But both of these styles do seem to kind of be one of that class of beers that rises up. You know, the allergic response that happened kind of system-wide amongst brewers with the threatening rise of Pilsner, right? Uh, suddenly everybody wanted gold beers, clear beers, uh, pale beers, you know, things that, that dance and sparkle in a glass. And you can see uh, the same sort of thing happen in Brew Files episode two about the crushable cream ale. Cream ale kind of in that same category of response to Pilsner, at least the American cream ale. Both of these in their modern forms, you know, both the uh, Belgian Golden Strongs and uh, Belgian Triples, 
both really also take shape thanks to Belgian prohibition where spirits like Geneva couldn't be sold at retail, like, or basically you couldn't go into a bar and get a shot of something, uh, Geneva or something strong. And that happened in the interwar period between World War One and World War II and lasted for something like 66 years. So a good long period of time. But brewers saw that as an opportunity to go, hey, you know, people still want a strong drink and why don't we step up our game here and start making beers with, you know, much more potent strengths, kind of get into that wine market a little bit and, you know, you know, take up some of the slack that's left over from uh, the lack of brandy in Geneva. Now, Triple is thought to actually be a development sometime in the early 1930s, originally by a non-Trappist brewer at Whitcap and making a beer called Potter, you know, father's beer. But Really, the style as we know it today is most recognized, most centered on, most sort of focused on the sample of the style that came from Westmall, which was developed at about the same point in time. And that same brewer was also helping consult with Westmall at the time. And it really has become sort of Westmall. Westmall Triple is the exemplar. That is the target that everybody looks at when you're going to create a triple. And rightfully so, it's a fantastic beer. Now, the style did get adopted by a number of the Trappist breweries. So, you know, like, for instance, Shimea eventually ended up making Sink Sense. Uh, you, you see it in a lot of different places, you know, a lot, of, a lot of that kind of response. But again, even though a lot of other breweries are doing it, I still really do consider West Malls the best. Now, the other one that I'd also put up there on that same sort of uh, line would be Triple Carmelite, which is not a Trappist beer. It's an Abbey beer produced by Barry Bostils, and it's a little bit different and has some very different notes. We'll break into some of that in a bit. And before we actually move on from you know the history of Triple and how it gets started, for the record, the whole single, double, uh, triple thing. I know a lot of people will go out there and they'll, you'll see a lot of stories online. People say, oh, it uses triple the malt or it's triple the strength. That's not really the case. It really kind of looks more like it's an old school marker system, just like what you'd see in the UK and Australia and the Commonwealth nations with the X's. Single slash was you know the weakest beer. The double slash was the second beer. And the triple slash was the strongest beer until Quad came along. Then eventually that marking system becomes the styles that we know just because iconic beers get assigned into that category and therefore that becomes the thing that we know. Belgian Golden Strong or Belgian Strong Golden, however you want to put it, to me that that one starts and ends with Duval. Duval from uh, uh, well, what used to be Browery Morgan is now Browery Duval. They started, it started its life as a beer called Victory Ale. And we've talked about this story before, but it started as Victory Ale uh, to commemorate the end of World War One. Oh, everybody's happy. And it was a big, strong, sneaky Belgian brown. It was not a golden beer at the time. And Morgat basically developed this beer not only to you know celebrate the end of the war, but also take advantage of that prohibition of Geneva, as we said. The, the Morgat Scions started traveling around and they went to the UK and they traveled around a lot in the UK and ended up picking up a bunch of tips to figure out how to brew strong beer and came back with a Scottish yeast. And it's usually rumored to be McEwen's. And of course, now that yeast has uh, developed its own house character and doesn't taste like McEwen's anymore. That to me explains why the beer itself is that brown beer, right? You know, if you're picking up tips from the British and the Scots at this time, it's going to be a brown beer and it's nice and strong. Because it was so strong and so sneaky, it was about eight and a half percent. 
because it was so strong and sneaky, uh, the beer started to get the nickname of the the devil, and which in Flemish is Duvel. So Duvel eventually became the name of it, and it stayed dark until sometime around 1970 when uh, the brewery, with the help of Jean de Clerc, went and reformulated it and basically reformulated it to the pale, hoppy, lively beer that we know today. And to me, still serves as sort of the locus on which the strong golden style is based and should be thought of. And we'll get to that in a moment because I do think that there are some differences in the style, at least as defined by the BJCP. And if you go and you take a look, so in the BJCP guidelines, in the 2015 guidelines, Belgian Golden Strong Ale is class 25C and triple is 26C. Boy, there is not a lot of difference between these two styles. Yeah, you go and you look at the overall impression for Belgian Golden Strong Ale, it says a pale, complex, effervescent, strong Belgian-style ale that is highly attenuated and features fruity and hoppy notes in preference to phenolics, so fruity instead of spicy. And the overall impression for 26 Seed Belgian Triple is a pale, somewhat spicy, dry, strong Trappist ale with a pleasant rounded malt flavor and firm bitterness, quite aromatic with spicy, fruity, and light alcohol notes, combining with the supportive clean malt character produce a surprisingly drinkable beverage considering the high alcohol level. If you run through all the different steps, you know, your aromas, your appearance, your flavor, you'll see there is a lot of things going on here where they're very, very similar. If you go all the way down to the style comparison where they talk about it, they say, oh, it strongly resembles a triple on the uh, Belgian Golden Strong, uh, but maybe even paler and lighter body and even crisper and drier. And then on the Trappist, it says, may resemble Belgian Golden Strong, but slightly darker and somewhat fuller body. And then when you look at the vinyl statistics, the OG for a Belgian Golden Strong is 1070 to 1095. For a triple, it's 1075 to 1085. I mean, they're basically parked on top of each other. Similar sort of IBU range, 20 to 40 in triple, 22 to 35 in Golden Strong. Same sort of colors. And the alcohol range both start at 7.5 and Belgian Golden Strong goes up to 10.5, where Triple only goes up to 9.5. Taking a look at the, the two styles in those BJCP notes, the way the BJCP splits it up is basically that the Triple is rounder, spicier, has more IBUs. I tend to think of it as also being kind of fluffy. I, I kind of think there's a, a roundness, a softness that happens with a lot of Triples. Even though when I say fluffy, I don't mean sweet. You know, so these beers don't finish very sweet. They actually finish very dry. They may have some uh, fruity notes to them from the yeast and from just the alcohol. Belgian Golden Strong, on the other hand, is drier. It's less rich, more fruit, less spice. And here's my big problem, because I got problems. You look at the classic examples for Belgian Golden Strong, and they list out quite a few. Uh, Brigand, Delirium Trimmins, Dadala Teve, uh, Duval, Judas, Lucifer, Parat, and Russian River Damnation. To me, with those beers that you have there, you have two very distinctive approaches, I think. So you've got Duval, and you also have Russian River Damnation. Both of those beers fall into a very similar pattern, what I think of as the dry Belgian Golden Strongs. They're, they're dry, they have a nice hot presence to them, they're, you know, they are crisp and clean, and boy, howdy, do they deliver. But then you go and you look at Delirium Trimmins, you look at Dadala Teve, you look at Judas, Lucifer, and Parat, and those are not as dry. Those are almost, I want to say almost like a, they have a flavor of caramelized honey in addition to the other things. Parat, for instance, is also heavily spiced and feels very weird to me. I have a real problem there. I think 
it's two separate styles that are actually being represented in this one sort of category that they're trying to unify under. To me, I kind of think of it as Belgian Golden Strong Dry and Belgian Golden Strong Sweet. And to kind of get back in, you know, I mean, I actually went back and I tasted uh, Duval Perot and Delirium Trimmins next to each other just to make sure I wasn't talking, uh, you know, from just sense memory here. And uh, Duval is dry and hoppy and just really does pop. The Delirium Trimmins isn't as dry as the Duval. Uh, still hoppy, but it has a little bit more flavor of brown sugar to it. And then finally, that Perot, like I said, was very strongly phenolic, very strongly spiced. And tasted like caramelized tiny and also very important to me. The thing I find particularly in Parat and Lucifer and Brigand and Judas, you know, which are all kind of falling into that same line, is not only are they kind of that caramelized honey thing, but they're also fusely as all get out. So to me, when I go and I drink those beers, and I don't tend to drink them a lot because of this, when I drink those, I get that sort of screwdriver pinch right behind the bridge of the the nose you know right between the eyes that to me says fusel alcohols or those higher alcohol tones that lead to you know wicked hangovers that's kind of my my thing also i disagree with part of the triple categorization because why not because one of the classic examples listed in the bgsp guidelines and i know the bgsp does it by availability how close it is to the classic style and how available it is so that people can get it and try it but I also disagree with them having Unibrew's Le Fin de Monde classified as a triple because I think that's more of a strong golden. To me, they'd be better served and the better examples out of Unibrew, if you want you know, something from them, are actually uh, Unibrew's Don de Dieu, although that's fairly strongly spiced. And then the one that I think is really the best triple that they make is Obanit because the Holy Water one is dead on into that West Mall uh, sort of idea. That's kind of the breakdown. Really, again, what we've got is that Belgian Golden Strong is sometimes stronger. There's kind of two breakdowns. There's the dry, which is very, very dry and, you know, kind of goes more fruity instead of spicy. You've got the sweet, which does also have the fruit tones to it, but also has some spicing. To me, also tastes like caramelized honey. And then you've got that triple, which is rounder, not sweeter, spicier, not as fruity, but also with an incredibly sort of bracing hot presence to it. That's enough to really sort of pop things. Again, I would say take a Duval and taste that next to a West Mall triple, and that's going to make it about as clear of the difference as you can see. Now, let's brew these beers. One general thing, and more than anything else about Belgian beers, you've got to get these dry. Again, part of the reason why I don't think I like Parat and Brigand and, and Lucifer is that they all taste sweet to me, even though I suspect their final gravities are actually really low and I'm getting a lot of alcohol sweetness, but you've got to get them dry. One of the biggest problems most Americans have with making their Belgian beers, even to this day, even after all this time of people talking about it and everybody knowing about it, is a lot of our examples aren't very dry in the finish. And so you get, end up getting something that's sort of sickly sweet and it just kind of hangs out there. And just over time wears you down and doesn't make you happy to have the next sip. I would say this is no time to go slacking on your yeast vitality. I would also say that oxygenation in this particular case is pretty damn handy. Uh, just to make sure that you have uh, vital yeast, particularly if you're not doing like a shake and not stirred starter or a vitality starter. Give it, uh, give it all the help that you can need because again, you're going into beers with original gravities in that 1070 to 1080 to possibly 1090 range. Other thing I would also say is don't go crazy with loosening up your temperature controls. A lot of people will look at Belgian beers and think, okay, well, I can just go stick that in a closet and let it run. Don't do that. You know, you still want to control the temperature somewhat. I always like to do that pitch low. So pitch in the 63, 65 range. 
and then let it come up. I don't control it as hard as I do with a Saison and I don't let it actually go up as high as I let a Saison go, right? You know, I'll let a Saison used to go up into the, into the eighties, into the nineties, maybe, maybe depending upon what's going on. The Belgians like this, I will tend to keep that yeast at no warmer than 70 degrees. I think the primary driver, the primary splitter between these two styles has very little to do with the ingredients except for yeast. I think yeast is the one that makes the big difference. So what's in a Belgian strong or triple uh, grain bill? Because again, they are pretty much the same grain bill. Pilsner malt. Pilsner malt is king here. I want to use a good European malt. I want that little bit of crackery hay thing that you find in a good continental malt. I don't tend to use a Belgian malt actually in here. I tend to actually use Weirman German pills over that Belgian pills. And I definitely don't use domestic American two-row or domestic Pilsner because I think they actually taste too thin. Now for sugar, which we're going to talk about before we talk about any other malts because I think it is also a key to the style. I've seen a few recipes out there for both triple and Belgian strong golden that don't use any sugar whatsoever. But those are the rarity and I don't think I don't think they're classic. So for most recipes, sugar additions somewhere in the 10 to 20% seem to be standard. The more sugar, the thinner, the drier the finish will be in a beer with a healthy fermentation. I've used cane sugar, I've used beet sugar, corn sugar, aka dextrose. I've used honey, and I've also used some wilder sugars. Remember that if you're going to use honey or some of these darker, you know, more raw, less refined sugars, you're going to pick up characters from that sugar that are going to come through. If it's just a pale sugar, like a cane sugar or, or a beet sugar, I don't think you're going to tell the difference. Now, do you want to go and do like a candy syrup type thing? I don't see big value in the clear candy syrups. So for me, I don't tend to use those at all. I do know that a lot of people out there will do inverted sugar. And if you can do inverted sugar, which involves invertase and heat and some, you know, ascorbic acid to flip the sugar around and make it more digestible to the yeast, by all means do that. Yeast will also produce its own invertase. Uh, some people claim that you can tell the difference between a beer with inverted sugar versus no invert sugar, you know, just regular sugar. I'm not sure I'm sophisticated enough to tell the difference, so I don't tend to. Now, the other thing I will also say is that with the raw sugars in particular, you know, like your pioncios or your turbinados or your demoraras or palm sugar or whatever you can find, those can lead to some really interesting uh, rummy flavors in some of these beers, which means if you want to make a triple or a Belgian golden strong with a little bit of a tropical flair to it, I would totally do that just because you start to build up that kind of Mai Tai type effect. After sugar, we get into other malts. And by other malts, I, I mean, we've talked the the primary constituent ingredients, but other malts are there in, in a lot of these recipes. So it's not unusual to see some of these with a dose of some sort of pale color malt, uh, particularly like the really pale uh, caramels. So like a Carahel, a Carapils or Caramel Pills out know, of Belgium. Those are you know pretty standard in very small amounts, so under 5%. Sometimes also you'll see a toasted malt like an aromatic or biscuit or Munich or Vienna as well, just to kind of give a little bit of oomph behind everything. But again, we're talking just a little bit here. So we're talking under 5%. And if you're using a Carahel, I wouldn't use a Munich in addition because you're going to add those up and it's going to get too much. Definitely no uh, dark crystals, no dark candy syrups, no nothing that's going to you know detract from that color and Unless you want to play around and, you know, I don't know, add hibiscus flowers to make a red golden. But you could obviously do adjuncts in here. But again, classically, nothing dark. Other grains. 
this is this is relatively rare, but we go back to the triple carm lead example that we mentioned in the beginning, you know, where West Mall Triple is kind of the hallmark of the style. Carmelite is one of the other ones, and Carmelite does use oats. Oats are a perfectly normal uh, sort of thing. Uh, you'll also see a lot of wheat in some of these. And again, I think those belong in triples. I do not think those belong in Belgian Golden Strongs because both the oats and the wheat will kind of give you that fluff factor that I think you find in a triple that you don't see in a, a Golden Strong. With hops, we are looking at, and traditionally, all sort of classic European nobles. Your Zotz, your Tetanang, your Holotower, a lot of Styrian Golding, which is very popular in a lot of classic Belgian beers, and even some uh, British hops, some uh, Y Valley, some uh, Goldings, that sort of thing you'll see. If you could get your hands on the hops from the Belgian hop growing region around Watu and Popering, that would be fantastic. However, if you can find those, let me know, because I've never been able to find those at the homebrew level. This, you're really kind of sticking tried and true, unless you want to go non-traditional. And what you start to have seen is the newer, fruitier American hops, starting with Amarillo and Citra particularly, have been popping up in sort of tropical spins on those classics. So remember I was saying before, triples with, you know, that dark brown sugar in it, you know, or those raw sugars will give a little bit of rummy thing. Then you go and you throw these tropical flavored hops in on top of it, and you've got yourself a, a rum drink just made as a beer. And those are some actually really, really great things. I would avoid any of the sort of classic American caddy style. So that means, you know, no Chinook, no Cascade. I wouldn't even do uh, Centennial here. If you want to get a good example of a Belgian Golden Strong that's doing this sort of thing, go and take a look at Hublonschuf uh, from Brasserie Schuf, which has, from memory, I think it has uh, Amarillo, Zotz, and I think it does have uh, Warrior and Centennial in there. You can play around a lot. I really do love that beer, and that was the beer I think that opened up my mind to, oh, wait, you can do some things with American hops against these uh, phenols from the Belgian yeast. Now, on spices, because a lot of people want to talk about spices with a Belgian beer, there's a lot of debate here. A lot of times, the, the rule of thumb is that triples aren't usually spiced. Uh, I get, again, I think uh, Triple Carmelite breaks that. If I remember correctly, I think Carmelite has uh, orange peel and coriander in it. More of the Belgian Strong Goldens do have spicing to them. And I find it more particular with the sweeter ones. So the spices will be things like your classic Belgian spices of like coriander, orange peel, black pepper, grains of paradise, star anise, although that's usually in the darker, sweeter ones. Ginger, again, darker, sweeter. They're not out of place in these beers, but I tend to largely skew spice additions in my Belgians uh, now that I know how to deal with my yeast and how to get the yeast to drive more flavor. I prefer getting those those flavor impacts from the yeast rather than any sort of addition. Now, having said that, I still have done this from time to time. And I do think that it can add a nice nice little holiday air to some of the beers if you're very careful. And by very careful, what I mean is no matter what, with these sorts of spices, I throw them in at like knockout or five minutes left in the boil. And I keep a real easy hand with the spices. When I'm talking about these things, I'm talking about additions in terms of teaspoons, not tablespoons. So again, you can go back and you can add more spice flavor later. You can never take it out. So start with a very light hand to start with and then adjust up if you want to. By the way, the other tip, coriander. A lot of the coriander that we get here in the U.S. is uh, Mexican coriander and it has a very distinctive flavor to it. And that's fine if you like it. Beautiful. If you don't, I would say one thing to look for is Indian coriander, which looks different and tastes different. I actually think that works better as a coriander in beer. Water, because of course, 
water has got to be part of this thing. And in this particular beer, it's going to be maybe 90% or 92% of your, your beverage. Real simple water profile here, just clean and soft, low minerality. You are not trying to drive any water character in this beer. You don't want to have a big minerality. You don't want anything drying the beer out with uh, minerals because that tends to be a lot different than just you know a nice dry finish from the, the terminal gravity. So again, I go like a pale gold and just leave it there. And then finally, yeast. As we said before, we, I think yeast is the star of the show. And really, there's a couple of different ways that you can go. And I do think it's the, the difference between a good triple and a good Belgian Golden Strong, at least a a strong driver of those two. For a triple, I tend to look for the Trappist adjacent yeast, uh, West Mall, again, going with the classic. Both Y Yeast and White Labs have what are rumored to be the West Mall strain, which is Y Yeast 3787 Trappist High Gravity, or White Labs uh, WLP 530, the Abbey Ale. The Chimay strain is out there as well. Supposedly that's Y-Yeast 1214 Belgian Ale and White Labs WLP 500 Trappist Ale. Now, some other options that are out there, you can look at, like, say, Imperial. Imperial has both uh, B-48 uh, Triple Double and B-63 Monastic. And I would assume those fall into the Westmall and Chimay rooms as well. I just don't know which is which. But I like all those. I do find that 3787 and the 530 to me take longer to sort of clean their act up and get into a drinkable position uh, more so than the Chimay. But again, it's such a classic flavor that I can totally see it just working. And if you can get your hands on the Unibrew yeast, which is uh, from Y yeast, that's the Canadian Belgian. Uh, that one also is pretty good, but I tend to prefer that in the Golden Strongs and actually even better in Dark Strongs because it has a very strong plum note. On the Belgian Golden Strong side, what I really would look for is something like White Labs 545, which is the Belgian Strong Ale Yeast, the Y Yeast uh, Ardennes Yeast 3522, which has its equivalent, I think, in White Labs 550 Belgian Ale, and Imperial's B45 Gnome. That's the Brasserie Achouf Yeast, and that makes really excellent beer, really excellent uh, Golden Strongs. And then if you're going for that Duval, if you're trying to drive home that little devil character, then the yeast to use would be the Y Yeast uh, 1388 Belgian Strong Ale or the White Labs uh, WLP 570 Belgian Golden Ale Yeast. I think those are the top-notch ones to use for that. If you can get your hands on uh, Y Yeast 3463, uh, which is a private collection one now of Forbidden Fruit, I think that's also pretty good. And over to Yeast Bay, they have their Dry Belgian and their Flanders specialty that I think work really well for Golden Strongs. And now, some recipes. So recipes, I'm going to break down two. I'm going to give you a triple and I'm going to give you a, a devil. And the triple actually comes from Denny. It's his West Coast Mall triple. Where is Denny, by the way? He's still recovering from the gay pig death flu. I'm still doing that as well, but... Uh, you can't hear me cough because I keep editing it out. So Denny's West Coast Mall Triple, five and a half gallons at 1081, 34 IBUs and 9.4% ABV. And he uses 12 pounds of Pilsner malt, continental, two and a half pounds of table sugar, cane or beet. And he his notes here say, add the sugar anytime after the boil starts. For me, I tend to get the boil going. I put the sugar in a hot bag. And then I suspend the hot bag in the middle of the boil and let the boil actually do the dissolving and stirring. Uh, he mashes at 148 degrees Fahrenheit, 65 degrees Celsius for 90 minutes. And then his hop schedule is an ounce of Czech Zatz, an ounce and a quarter of Hollow Tower, half an ounce of Tetanang Tetanang at 30 minutes, 
uh, the hollow towers at 60 minutes, and then one ounce of Zots again at five minutes. Uses some Whirl Flock to get some clarity, and then pitches why use 3787, the Trappist High Gravity Ale, in a two liter starter. And he lets that ferment for two to f- three weeks, starting at 63 to 65, and then checking the gravity. And then if it's near 1010, he'll let the temperature rise to finish out and make sure that it actually gets down to that 1010 goal that he wants. You can see here, Pilsner malt and table sugar. And the sugar is at about, what, 17% of the, uh, the recipe. So it falls into that 10 to, uh, 10 to 20% range. This is a very classic triple type thing. You could see if you wanted to make a Carmelite, you could add some oats to this, maybe take away some of the Pilsner. And then Carmelite, like I said, does, I believe, use some spicing. Very simple, very straightforward. His hop bill is way more complex than his than his malt bill. Go figure. Now, to flip the coin and to go into the, the Belgian Golden Strong, I have a beer that I call Hobo Devil. And this one's a dry version. You know, so again, that difference between dry and sweet Belgian Golden Strongs. And this is five and a half gallons at 1075, 27 IBUs, 4.7 SRM, so nice and pale, 9% ABV. And for me, that's 12 pounds of Pilsner and a half a pound of aromatic in this one. You could use a Caramel or a Caramel Pils. I've done those too. Then two pounds of sugar. And again, that's 14% sugar for this. One of the things I've noticed in a lot of Belgian triple recipes is slightly more sugar than in the Belgian Golden Strongs. I'm Ash Lowe, again, at that 148, 150 range, so around, again, 65C. I'll bitter with two ounces of Zots at 4.5% alpha acid for 60 minutes. I'll also, will these days, do an addition of Magnum instead of Zots here just to avoid wasting a lot of Zots and avoid putting more vegetable material in. I'll finish with an ounce of Zots for zero minutes and let that whirlpool. And this one, uh, as I said before, I use those Belgian Golden Ale Yeast, the 570 from White Labs or 1388 from Y Yeast. And... Something interesting to note is both of those strains are now actually marked as being uh, diastaticus variants. So they don't know if they are, but they they have uh, noted that they are possible uh, diastaticus. So if you're worried about that, keep that in mind. And then I do my usual sort of fermentation. Again, low 60s for a period of time, let it ramp up over time. And I never take it up over 70 in, that, in most cases. If I wanted, again, you know, to swing this more triple, I would increase the sugar a little bit. And I would probably drop that aromatic, possibly in favor of either more Pilsner or in favor of some uh, flaked oats to do that uh, Carmelite thing. If you wanted to go really fun with this and make something a little more um, American, you could even drop that, say, that Whirlpool edition of Zots, you know, put in the Magnum for the bittering, drop the Whirlpool edition of Zots and Whirlpool instead Citra and have yourself some fun there. And if I was going for something that was kind of more a sweeter version of the Hobo Devil, I would probably sub out the aromatic, put in some Munich in there, and maybe also put in a darker, you know, a darker caramel, but still not going for, you know, anything over, say, like a, a C, say like a C15, C20, uh, just to, just to pick up the color, give it a little bit of a stronger boil, a little, and like I said, a little less sugar, so it's a little more malt sweet in the finish. And that's what I would do for that. And I would probably still keep the hopping about the same. And I think that's the real difference there is I think those, those, sweeter Belgian Golden Strongs have less sugar in them, and I think they have slightly more malt and maybe something slightly darker in them. There's two recipes, two styles, and again, difference between these two styles is so slim that it almost seems remarkable, but even then I found a what I think is a new hair to to split in the fact that I don't agree that all these uh, Belgian Golden Strongs really belong in the same category together. It's almost like uh, these should be Belgian Golden Strongs and Belgian Amber Strongs? I don't know. I know that the Belgians have a lot of amber beers, but 
in this case, I I kind of think that that break uh, deserves a little bit more exploration. But hey, the reason to start thinking about these right now is these don't take very long actually to to mature. But now that we're still kind of nice and cool, but we're starting to warm up, you know, polar vortex be damned. Now that we're starting to get a little bit warmer, this is about the right time, I think, to really start trying to push and make a nice high alcohol beer that you still want to have a restrained yeast character on. So by all means, go and jump on one of these today. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised, particularly when you put them into the keg or into the bottle if you're so inclined and you have a, a big golden fluffy beer ready for you to go in time for spring so that you can really have just kind of a blast. Thank you everyone for joining us on an episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this exploration of just how fine the hairs in the beer world can get split. Do you think there is a difference between a Belgian Golden Strong and a Triple? Do you agree with me that there is a, a difference in the Belgian Golden Strongs? You know, that there should be two categories. Because boy, I don't think Perot uh, and Duval taste anything alike. Also, what other sort of variants would you want to do with this? I'm still thinking I might have to do a Mai Tai Triple. That sounds like a hell of an idea. Hmm, this is doable. I like this idea. But what are you going to do? Are you going to make a Belgian Golden Strong? Or are you going to make a triple? Which do you prefer? Let us know. You can reach us at podcast.experimentalbrew.com and leave us some feedback. So remember, speaking of which, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast.experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrewing forum out there. And don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can click the AHA, brewswag.com, code word experimental, and hey, they got some really cool new shirts too. Uh, Amazon, Brewers Friends, or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is going to be announced next week on the main show. We would have announced last week, but guinea pig death flu. So until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring artisan malt house Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout. Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply.